Our readings comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed a crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire will billow of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I will not. My tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath on that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 reading. As most of you know, uh, we have been walking our way all the way through Matthew, starting last fall, and last Sunday we wound up at chapter 28, and uh, we celebrated the resurrection. We had Easter Sunday last Sunday, and I found great joy in, the, in doing that, sharing that with you, and, and singing the song. It's just a great thing to do, and you know, we went right to the empty tomb, and we went there with the women, and we heard them Saw them move there. We heard them hear the word from the angel. He's not here. He's, he's risen. And we celebrate what it means. And because he lives, is our message. New life in Christ. A new life. With his love and his power changing us and through us changing the world. So he said, hear the good news of his resurrection and then go out and live it. And believe it. Not many days later, 50 to be exact, on the day we call Pentecost, it's a Jewish feast day, the followers of Jesus gathered for worship. And on that day, they had a worship experience. I mean, they had a worship experience. If you read the early part of chapter 2, we hear that God's Spirit came to work among them and within them in some powerful and shocking ways. There was a sound of a violent wind in the room. Woo! And it seemed as if tongues of fire were on the heads of everyone in the room. And the apostles, some of whom were not well educated, began to speak a powerful word about Jesus. And they did that in languages they did not know. And they're listed for you in the early part of Acts chapter 2. And they began to proclaim the word to the large crowd of people who gathered in Jerusalem for that Jewish festival. And all those different nationalities heard the word of Jesus' death and resurrection in their own language. And we're told as a result of that day, over 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and a revolution for God occurred in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. For two of Acts. And I'm wondering, do you remember any times in your life when you felt God move in your life in a way that was very dramatic and powerful? Maybe, Maybe as dramatic as Acts 2, I don't know. What do you remember of God moving into your life in a way that really changed who you are? I have a lot of those. (laughs) I was in college when a revival swept through North Park College. We had called Spiritual Emphasis Week, I think it was called. Now kind of a lame term today, I guess. But a guest speaker who spoke on the evening powerfully about the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing people to Jesus. and Not only in the large large meetings in the college, but in dorm rooms all around the campus. People like me gathered for prayer and for worship, committing our lives... I can remember being at some large meetings. I went to Promise Keepers rallies. How many know about Promise Keepers rallies? You know about those? You don't, I hope you went to some. I, I did back not too many years ago. Went to Kansas City in a football stadium. <clears throat> and we weren't cheering for whatever Kansas City Chiefs. We were cheering for Jesus. And we had to hear like 25,000 men in this dome all singing praises to God and raising their hand and committing their life to serve for Christ. Oh, it was like Pentecost all over again to me. 
Then we went to Kansas, to Washington, D.C. a few years after that. Now there were nearly a million of us on the Washington Mall with big screens and big microphones, all men singing for Jesus, honoring him. But I also had other powerful movements of God's spirit in my life that were quieter, not so well known. We had a prayer retreat at our church in Pennsylvania. There were probably a dozen or 15 of us who met for prayer in various ways over a weekend. And a very quiet way, but a very powerful way, the Spirit of God made himself known to me. And I understood again, which I need to know again and again, that the God of the universe chose to love you, Don. He knows exactly everything about you, and he loves you, and he's called you to his work. It was a new beginning again, when the Spirit of God works, in that case, quietly, but powerfully in my life. In the last portion of Matthew's record, which we did not read last week, but the very last few verses, we hear this command. So you've met the risen Lord Jesus. He has begun to transform your life. Well, what now? What are you supposed to do about it, you know? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, said Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And if they miss the point in that point, he says it again, recorded in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what? That's the aftermath of all that God has done up through Matthew 28, or the end of each of the Gospels. The mission, the message is given to us to go out and live it and do it. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. Yes, follow him, know his love and forgiveness, his joy and his peace given to us. Yes. But to also live and act and speak in the power of the Spirit for Jesus to others, as read earlier, it's for all people. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? Pretty simple, really, to understand. To point toward Jesus. Hey, look at Jesus. Invite others to come to him. And then make it possible for them, with you, to come into his presence and to receive what God has for us in him. So our purpose in living is to live for Jesus. And the power for doing that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, beginning in our Pentecost or in our quiet closet, whichever way God chooses to work in your life. What's going to happen when you really begin to respond to the risen Lord Jesus and to his command? Something might, very dramatic might happen. I'm kind of an emotional guy. You may not know that yet, right? <clears throat> but if God moves in my life, I'm likely to cry about it. And if I'm far away from God, I'm going to be depressed. And you're going to know it. (laughs) Ask my wife. (laughs) But maybe you're not like that. Maybe your personality keeps you going. So the Spirit of God will work to bring you to the place of saying, I want to be part of the message and the mission of Jesus. Somehow, somewhere. Now, Sean just read for us very clearly the first sermon of today. (laughs) Peter's sermon from... That day. That's, I think it's probably a summary of it. I think Peter was rather talkative. So I think what we have there was probably a shortened version, Sean, right? <laughs> of what Peter would have preached to that great crowd on that day. 
And we're going to talk about that message in just a little bit. But first, let's pay attention to Peter himself. You know the story of Peter. He's one of Jesus' first disciples to follow him. Uh, we picture him as kind of a rough and tumble kind of guy. A, a guy who's a fisherman. You know, he worked it under his fingernails and a lot of fish smell on his hands, okay? Uh, kind of a rough kind of guy. He follows Jesus. He's learning, learning with the other disciples for Jesus. He's committing himself. He says some really brilliant things about Jesus, who he really is. And then at the critical moment of Jesus' Trial before the Caiaphas, where's Peter? Well, he's out in the hallway. He didn't, he didn't run away totally. He was out in the hallway. But at the critical moment, when he, all he has to do is say, yes, I know Jesus. He goes, no way. Know anything about him. And actually, he used some bad words, okay, to declare I have nothing to do with him. Peter, this, this wonderful guy who goes up and down, back and forth, you know, he had come to know Jesus and his resurrection through the women's testimony, through his own running, rushing into the tomb. He's, all this has happened has changed him from this mercurial kind of guy who still doesn't know where's he going to find the power to do whatever it is that I'm supposed to do. And so Peter, along with the other disciples, arrives at that Pentecost worship celebration recorded in Acts 2. He's already a follower of Jesus. He's already a believer in the resurrection. He's already eager to do something for God. But he needs to know, what is going to, how am I going to do this? I think Peter recognized, as most of the disciples would have recognized, how weak and inadequate they were. Can you identify with that? Weak and inadequate to truly represent the power of Jesus in the world? You want to, but... Peter and the others, they needed to know that the power of God was really going to be available to them, through them, in them. And that's what Pentecost is all about. Because in that place, in that very dramatic way, so they could never possibly miss what it was all about, the Holy Spirit descends with, with the wind and the flames and the, and the languages, and he said, this is how you will speak for me in the power of my spirit working in you and through you. This is how it will happen. Experience it. It transformed Peter. It transformed the disciples. And from that moment on, Peter was able to witness for Jesus. And on that day, he preached a sermon. I'm sure he quite didn't know it was really him preaching it. I think he probably said, oh, wow, what's happening here? God is moving, I'm speaking, and people are changing. He preached with joy and with power and with effectiveness. He's no longer this rough and tumble, mercurial kind of up and down guy. He's now a man who's passionately in love with Jesus. He knows what his mission is, and he's beginning to live it and speak it. And I'm saying that whether God's work in your life through his spirit is very dramatic and powerful, so you want to fall on your knees and say, oh God, I can't believe you're here. Or he just quietly talks to you in your own private corner and he says, listen to me, I have some good news for you to share. Trust in my spirit's work in your life. What always happens is that God sends us out into our world to represent him. And he gives us something to say. He gives us something to say that's important. Now, it's important. We'll talk about this a little bit later. It's important to say we've had a real experience with God, but I, first time, my mind does some funny jumps. Uh, and I'm jumping back when I was preparing this message to watching black and white television half-hour shows with my dad. Anybody can identify with that? Black and white, half-an-hour shows, right? And there was one, a cop show, and there was this one cop show Dad loved to watch. <clears throat> We'd sit there and watch it together. And, and it had Sergeant Friday in it. Do you remember that one? And Sergeant Friday was this rough guy with kind of a gravelly voice, you know. And, and he would be trying to solve some crime in a half an hour. And there would come that moment when this person like me was going, blah, 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 you know, t- talking about it. And you say, just the facts, ma'am. 
just the facts. Okay, now what I want you to realize is that it's important for us not just to be emotional what we believe and what we know, but we need to know the facts. I mean, Peter was very passionate and personal, but he was also very factual. Notice what, in that message, notice what he does. He says, he speaks of the mighty acts of Jesus' ministry, refers to them. He speaks, refers to the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus, which would be known to most of the people there because this was in Jerusalem after all. He speaks of the truth of Jesus' resurrection, that it really happened. I mean, he wasn't just talking about some sort of vague spiritual, oh, I'm high on the spiritual world, you know, kind of stuff we hear today. No, he's talking about very specific things that happened and the meaning of them. And I think this means that if you and I are going to respond to the Spirit's work in our life, we are going to learn to know the Bible. Because that's where the facts are. That's where the truth is. And people are maybe interested in knowing that you've had some spiritual experience in their mind. And they appreciate that, hopefully. But they need to know the facts. What are the facts? What are the truths that lie underneath your experience of God? You need to know them well and know more and more as you grow on. We have to get our facts straight. People around us, again, need to know that we know what we know we know (laughs) and why we know it. The message of Jesus is factual and it is also surrounded my mind when I'm preparing these messages and I... um, I was thinking about my friend Vern Roberts up in Duluth, Minnesota, where I worked with the church there for about nine years. Darlene um, and I had a chance to meet with him not too long ago, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> up there in their home. Vern gives new definition to the word workaholic. He's not capable of not working, <laughs> I, and I mean that. But he's a very skilled uh, carpenter, builder, and electrician, and just about anything you want built, repaired, changed, modified, added on to, that's, that's Vern. Now, if you wanted to have your house worked on, you could call Vern and you could say, Vern, I, I got this problem. I, I'm sure almost whatever it is, he would be able to do it. Now, you could also call me. And I got my book on how to, something related to electricity. I'll read it very carefully because I like to read. I read it very carefully. Then I could come to your house and say, now I'll work on your house because I read the book. Would that be smart? No. <laughs> if you know me, you know I could read that book four times, and I would still go, huh? What? What is that? Because I haven't been an electrician at all at any time in my life, and I don't intend to be. And I would not be helpful to you. And so what I'm saying is we need to have the facts straight. We need to know clearly what, but it must be intensely real to us. So that when we speak about the resurrection of Jesus, it's not only that we have read it somewhere, we've memorized some Bible verses or whatever, but we've also had a personal experience of God has begun to change us so that we're different people. So we have experience and we have facts. Both are needed. And Peter's Pentecostal message wasn't merely personal, It was also factual, and it was also a universal message. Notice what he says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, both Lord of the universe and Messiah, the Redeemer of the people of Israel. 
Notice that he quotes extensively from the Old Testament because he wants people to know that Jesus' death and resurrection was not an historical fluke. It was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It was part of God's universal, continuous plan. God is fulfilling his work in Jesus' death and resurrection. It wasn't an accident. It was part of God's wonderful plan. This man was handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection was not a fluke, it was not an accident, it was part of God's great plan in the past and the present and the future. And because Jesus is Lord, that's why you have something to say to the world. You're not merely expressing another religious opinion, you're declaring the truth of God in centuries of preparation, currently and in the future. That's a bold and radical and wonderful thing to live and to know. It's not merely what God has done, it's what he is doing and what he will do. And I want to say, if you live it and speak it, this is kind of a shocking thing, this message of God in this world of the first century or now in the 21st century, because it will change you as you begin to experience the unbounded, unconditional, overwhelming love of God and you begin to share with people that this is who God is. He is not this great monster, this sovereign holy, dangerous person out there from whom you have to run and hide and stay away from or pay off or, you know, it's not, no, no. He is this God of infinite, amazing, astounding, penetrating love for you and other people. He wants you to be his intimate and close companion as he does for all the people. And the wonderful thing about this is as this God, wonderful, powerful message of God takes root in our lives and it begins to change who we are and we begin to learn more and more of the facts so we know what's really happening, we understand what it is. As we begin to live that, the amazing thing is that he not only touches and heals our woundedness continuously as we move on, but he also begins to open our eyes and our hearts to see the burdens and the needs of the people around us. See, the love of God that he wants to pour into our lives and over our lives and lavishes with it. It begins to change who we are. And we begin to move out in the world and say, oh, now I understand. Oh, God, help me to love her, him, her. The guy that I work with, every now and then he says something about the struggles in his life or his confusions. God, give me wisdom. I want to share with him how good it is to know you and what it means to belong to you. God doesn't leave us alone with the good news of Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and to push us out in the world, our narrow world, and maybe the world on the other side of the world. Peter said, the promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The more thoroughly the spirit of Jesus is at work in our personal lives, the more clearly we'll see a world of forgiveness and God's astounding love. The more deeply we experience the healing work of the spirit as he works with us step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, helping us to unpack and deal with what is inside us as he begins to work on that day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, he begins to also open our lives to other people so other, we begin to recognize that this, there's this friend, this person I work with, there's this other friend, there's this spouse, there is this 
son, this daughter, this uncle, this aunt, who have those same hurts and needs, and they need to know the healing that I'm receiving from God. So God, open my life. Allow me to hear it. Give me some words to say. Tell me something I can do so they can begin to experience this wonderful healing love that you have for me. I just can't keep it to myself. The more intense our own experience of the love of God. I love this. The more we fall in love with the people God brings into our lives. And the more we're moved to share with them that experience. It's kind of catching. Maybe we could call it in the best positive way, a spiritual pandemic. That we want to share the good news. It just kind of has to happen. It can't stay there. The Spirit of God won't leave us where we are. He keeps moving us and changing us. When the Spirit of God is free to do His work, I couldn't think of a better word. The Spirit of Jesus plunge joyously, even recklessly, into the world for His sake. And they go across the street and they go across the world and they say, God is good and he is loving, and he's forgiving, and there's so much he wants to do in your life. Can I just share a little bit of it with you? I say they foolishly and faithfully stretch and sacrifice and work and witness so Jesus, his Lord, is known not only in our narrow world, but wherever he allows us to bring the good news. The good news is... All wrapped up. Jesus is our risen Lord. Go out and live in the Spirit is the only way to be really alive. And that is a message which God has given his people. It is a message which is passionate. It is personal. It is factual. It is universal. It is radical. And it is above all wonderful. My question for myself all week long, for the last several weeks again, has been, what do you really want the Spirit of God to do in your life and through your life? Have you asked God, God, show me. What is your dream? What are your possibilities? What are the things you believe in about me and the people I influence? What do you want to see happen around me? I'm asking for the work of your Spirit to of other people as well as my own. How can I be part of your mission? How can I be part of that? Maybe the uh, three simple words would summarize it. (laughs) Love, serve, and witness. Do those three and you're living out the work of the Spirit of God on this Sunday and every day to come. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this great move of God we call Pentecost, this great move in which you invaded this world in such a way that no one could miss what was happening and thousands of people on that one language in their way. And by the work of your Spirit, all across the Mediterranean Sea and now around the world for centuries, the good news of Jesus has been made known as your Holy Spirit works in and through your people who speak and live and become the message of Jesus. We invite your Spirit to work in our lives in any way you choose so we become part of your great movement in the world we know today.
For Jesus' sake and his powerful name I pray. Amen.